Hello, Mitch. Hi, Steve. How are you today? I am excellent, as always. Oh, wow. That's... I'd like to. <laughs> I'm trying to step up my game from uh, maybe how I've responded in past weeks, but excellent as always. Okay. I have, I will try and I'll try and I'm I'm okay as as half of the time. <laughs> hey man, you gotta fake it till you make it. <laughs> but hey, welcome back to a, another episode of Everyday Meeple. Hey, that's the show where everyday people talk about everything meeple, isn't it? I think I think that's what they talk about. Yeah, those yeah. everyday people are us. Right. And I'm welcoming you back to a place that doesn't exist. We're doing what we always do, looking at each other through computers in our basements. But um, I'm I'm really excited today. I just want to kind of, can we just jump? Can we jump Yeah, in? totally. Totally. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the um, point of today. Yeah. Go for because, it. Because uh, I'm really excited to be talking about Red Raven Games and Ryan Lockett's uh, board game company and his designs. His legacy. Yeah, it's his... This whole thing. He's uh, like, uh, it was what twenty twenty fourteen. When was uh, above and below? Yeah, I want. I think twenty fourteen is, is right on there. Uh, it might have been twenty thirteen that it got kickstarted, uh, and then it got like a retail release in twenty fourteen. Maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I did a terrible amount of research again. <laughs> <laughs> but but when that happened, when when above and below yeah. uh, was first announced and and was coming out. Yeah. I got so excited because I had uh, never heard of Ryan Lockett at that point, never heard of Red Raven Games, even though they've been around. He, I think his first ones were in 2012 with 8-Minute Empire and uh, Empires of the Void. Empires of the Void, yeah. But I'd never heard of him. And uh, and just reading about him and following that Kickstarter, uh, I got so excited because he is this uh, sort of superstar who does his own design, his own art, and then publishes his own games. And that was the first time that I saw something, uh, and, it, and it gets done. It get lo- other people do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. like uh, what's the Iron Helm, uh, Desolate Gray Gnomes, uh, right? Jason, Jason. Uh, I mean, other people do it. Yeah, Jason Glover, right? He's got right. Uh, Gray Gnome Games. He's got a, a bunch of, but they're small games. Uh, they self-publish stuff. A lot of people do that. But yeah. Ryan Lockett's Red Raven game seemed huge to me. Like yeah. he seemed like he was putting out uh, the same type of productions that any any other game publisher was doing, and he was doing all the art himself, and he was doing the design himself. And that was super inspiring for me to to think that uh, it was like it was like almost like a punk rock moment where punk rock was built on, hey, you can do it yourself. Yeah, you know, like you start a band, go out. There you go, band. Yeah, and and that that was super cool. And then and then re- finding out about above and below the game mm-hmm. was blew my mind because it seemed like such a perfect game for stuff I would love. You know, the, the tie-in where he was trying to tie in the storytelling and mm-hmm. and the adventure, and it's like, oh, that's the game I've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got super excited. Yeah, above and below was my first. Uh, thing I looked out of his as well, I think. And similarly, it's just eye-catching and uh, the fact that there was, you know, a, a bit of a hook in that in that narrative, choose your, choose your path kind of book. You, uh, that, you bought it for me uh, right. for doing oh, yeah. your T-shirts, I think. That's right. Yeah, you did some, some Heat work. Heat Vision in, T-shirts, I think. Some band, some band T-shirts. I still have some. Of them. I don't think that, yeah, I think it was the, I think it was the shirts, not the, because later on I did the album 
and you bought me something else for that one. Right. Yeah. You're so you used good. to pay me in board games. Yeah, I love it. It's amazing that you work for board games that I yeah. get to play with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't quote me on Mitch working for board games. Don't. Oh no, go go ahead. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll work for board games. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I was happy to to grab that one. That was one of those uh, one of those ones where, as I was buying it for you, because we had talked about it, uh, I was like, "Oh, I, kinda, I want this one too." Um, but I was happy to 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 gift it to you or pay you <laughs> in in it and then and, play it, and we and had then, a blast. Weirdly, the timing it took so long for us to actually get that game mm. uh, that we played it like three times, and uh, Near and Far came out like was released right. retail yeah. after like our third play of above and below. So Dave went out and bought near and far like that week. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. And then we played. Yeah, that's, that's true. And near and far, uh, just took above and below and, and expanded on the whole concept and did yeah, a great yeah. job of that. But I'm but, not sure which one I like better. That's true. And yeah, before we we jump oh, yeah, into yeah, to kind rambling. of games, no, totally. Uh, I'm just kind of while it's in, it's in my head because those were kind of uh, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about right now. Uh, Ryan Lockett, his his company, Red Raven Games, uh, he's a board game designer. Like you said, he, he does all his own thing, publishing and the design, uh, and the art, and um, yeah, just like uh, us, we were new to, newer newish to the hobby. And Above and Below was striking enough. So he has games like Above and Below, Near and Far, Islebound, um, Empires of the Void. Um, Artifacts, Inc. Artifacts, Inc. City of Megaland. Iron, Megaland. He, he has a, a pretty He's, huge Red, library right now. Red Raven now is starting to uh, have other designers that they're working with. So some of the newer yeah. games have had other designers they haven't they're not all ryan lockett games now no. he still does the art uh and they still do the the, the publishing and stuff but yeah. i have seen like at least two games i think have come out i know one for sure mm-hmm. but i think two of the more recent games have had somebody else's name for a design yeah there's yeah there's one that was just announced that he's co-designing with somebody else and the other one which will kind of segue into uh oh, iron uh, city did you mention iron city City of Iron. I City did, of I Iron. There we go. But um, one of the games that another designer um, made for Red Raven Games is Al Sigrid's uh, Haven. And Al, we know Al Sigrid from Fantastica. It's the only game of his oh, I've yeah. played, which is yours. And anyways, doing, and doing some research about Ryan and kind of digging into who he is and how he got started in there. Um, I guess him and, and Al are, are buds because... Um, I listened to an interview with Ryan today and I can, we can post it in the notes for another Canadian podcast, um, boards alive interviewed him like four years ago. Um, and he was kind of chatting about it and was saying things like, you know, he played Catan, wasn't really captivated by that game. Uh, haven't been like a Dungeons and Dragons player as a teenager and then got into the hobby. And that was the first thing. And he was like, Oh, where's the minis? Where's the flash? Where's the excitement? It wasn't there. And it wasn't until he played Puerto Rico that, which is a game we really need to give a try because it's been in your collection for a while. Um, but Puerto Rico kind of hooked him with just its mechanics and, and he kind of never looked back from there. But he joined the Game Designing Guild uh, in Utah and met Al Sigrid there. And I think they, I, he doesn't necessarily say this, but they must have hit it off because uh, I think he did the designs for the art for uh, Al Sigrid's 
uh, Trolls Under the Bridge and Trollhalla. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then they collaborated most recently with that Haven game. So and I remember I remember the, him uh, in a, an interview I read with uh, Ryan saying that those were the early art projects that he had done. Yeah. So. And he has a really fascinating story that I didn't quite realize. Me and you had chatted about some things off and on, but there's some neat little trivia around this guy, because if you're just entering the hobby and you look at Red Raven games, it has as much presence on a game shelf as like, in my opinion, as any other big publisher, like Days of Wonder, Fantasy Flight, like those games kind of stand out on a, on a shelf. So he's established himself really quickly, but it really wasn't that long ago in, in finding out some stuff about him that he went to a board game convention. I can't exactly remember where. I think close to home for him. So like somewhere in the States around Utah and pitched a board game and to Rio Grande. And he, he named the guy, I forget the, the guy who was there, but a, a big wig for Rio Grande. And they kind of gave him a bunch of pointers and tore his game apart, uh, but said, you know what? We, we have an artist who's not really, who's fallen through. We need some a, a few cards designed for a little game we got coming out called Dominion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talked about Dominion a bunch a few episodes ago, but um, yeah, I think a lot of people might not know that Ryan Lockett has designed like I think he said something like two cards in every Dominion box that's come out, <laughs> um, even the expansion since. Um, so, uh, and I think there was one I was looking because he has a really neat. Um, he stopped doing it. I was like, oh, I can't believe I, well, it's easy enough to find. I was, I looked at him, uh, looked him up on Board Game Geek. And for a while he was posting a kind of design, um, his journey as like an artist and a designer, but he kind of stops once Red Raven Games got underway. And obviously he's gotten too busy to like muse on Board Game Geek about, oh, I'm designing a little game called Above and Below. Because uh, he, yeah, he stopped it around Empires of the Void. Um, but yeah, he started posting all his early artwork that he'd done for games and, uh, Dominion was one of them. He did the design, the box art for one of the, the Hinterlands expansion oh, yeah. for Dominion. It's a really nice, nice box. You can kind of, you can look at his old artwork for, uh, games like for Dominion and for, uh, other Rio Grande games. And you can see kind of snippets or little kind of previews of where he was going to go with some of his own red raven games like um yeah it's, it's kind of a, it was a neat little thing to look through and he has some pretty boards like one game i had never heard of uh, i don't know if you've ever heard of this game called oh god what's it called it's like chocolate uh, but a, a weird spelling at the end like chococo uh, i had it i thought i had it right here in front of me but chocolate anyways it's yeah it's like chocolate with like an l at the end uh, but a really cool board. Like, I don't think the game gets a ton of love, but um, I really, it's one of those boards that would, would pull you in. Um, so yeah, he's got some cool art credits under under his belt. He designed a, he, he did the art for a Kinesia game, Strassi. Um, so anyways, I was kind of blown away as I was going through this that he, you know, kind of started out as a fan and got to work on some of his favorite designers games and then just kind of went whole hog into his own stuff um and kind of never looked back once he got a once he kick-started something um, i bet he looks back i'm sure i'm sure he does <laughs> don't we all <clears throat> chocolatel uh, it's chocolatel. Uh, yeah, right. yeah but a really cool board um 
Don't, don't know what the game likes, but. By Gunther Burkhardt. Gunther Burkhardt. Burkhardt. But yeah, so he, um, once he saw Kickstarter come on the scene, he said, oh, okay, this is like an avenue for me to, to start making, uh, putting some of my game ideas out there. And Empires of the Void was his first kickstarted game. And uh, he was kind of laughing in this interview I was listening to. Uh, he made like $30,000 on that Kickstarter. And that must, I don't, I didn't get the date. I'm guessing like must've been 2012 or 2011 or something like that for, for Empires of the Void. It's 2012, um, I think. Well, but again, it could have been 2011 for the Kickstarter. To tell you how fast how. Kickstarter has uh, changed and how, how popular it's become as a launching pad for board games. He raised $30,000 and he was in the top 10, uh, the highest, earnings for a tabletop board game on Kickstarter with $30,000. Uh, so very quickly, of course, he's not in the top 10, but yeah, in those short eight years, you know, now we have like $13 million for Frosthaven we talked about last week or like cool mini or not make millions of dollars on everything they, they do. But yeah, that seemed to, he he tapped into that in the right time. I'd like to think that his games would have would have got kickstarted even today if he just started. But you know, it's I I can't help but think uh, like he was doing fantastic with uh, City of Iron. Is that right? Did I say it in the, in the right order yeah, this time? City of Iron. Uh, but I I think what really to me what made his name was what he hit on with Above and Below, Near and Far. And now, now Sleeping Gods. Sleeping Gods? Yeah. Am I saying that right? Sleeping Gods, yeah. So Above and Below uh, was the first. They're, they're almost like a trilogy, but they just, they're in this sort of the same world. Yeah. Uh, Above and Below is this beautiful little village city building game. Uh, he has created this world with just fantastic creatures. His his character art has some of the best diversity uh yeah. In, in in board games, um, you know everybody's represented from frog people to. <laughs> but but it's a great little game where you are uh, building this little city and you have uh, money and each of your worker tokens that you have is like a an action that you can do, and they will have uh, a symbol that'll let them either build or hire new recruits or. There's a third symbol. There's like a feather, a hammer. Oh, maybe there's only maybe there's only Heads. two. Uh, and then so you you're, you can build new houses. You can hire new recruits. You can harvest uh, resources on your cards if you have any, or you can go and do like manual labor and get money and and mm. apple cider and stuff like that. But what the game has in it is it has these uh, adventures. So it has a stack of cards where you go underground and explore these cave systems. And there's a booklet that comes along with like over 200 uh, mm. entries. And there's a stack of cards that each card you flip over when you go to explore has uh, six numbers on it. And you roll a, a 1d6 and you uh, find out what number in this big book of adventure you're going to go find, and you go and you read this little paragraph that'll be super descriptive of something uh, adventurous that happens to you underground. Mm-hmm. Some of them will have sort of a, what seem like a moral sort of edge to them, but right. they'll, they'll trick you up where you'll be like, oh, well, obviously I, I should go and help this person, but then that person mugs you 
or right. something. So you don't, you never really know what which way you're supposed to go. So it's fun to just play it, uh, however you're playing your game and however you're you're managing your characters and to choose your adventures that way. And then whenever you succeed in adventure, you'll get new resources and new money and and maybe some reputation. There's a reputation track, and it's only seven rounds, but right. each round you have as many uh, actions as you have people in play. And every time you use a person, they get exhausted. And you have to, at the end of the round, you have to be able to have enough beds built in your village mm. to, to rest your people. And whenever you're exploring, you can you can push your people too hard to, to, to win something, and they become injured. And then you have to manage them from injured to resting back to back to full health so that you can right. have those things. So by the seventh round, depending on how many beds and how many people you have and how many people you're able to rest and get back, you might have a whole lot of things you can do in the last round with your money and all your stuff, but you might also have built yourself a tiny hole <laughs> by not by not managing your village properly and you might be stuck. And then uh, it's just a great small system for how everything adds up. It's like it's a big point salad for uh the different tracks like as you get resources they they build up mm-hmm. along the bottom and increase your the money you get every round and you points and you can buy uh some buildings give you end scoring advantages and right and it's a really fun game and uh we actually just played it for the first time with uh our 7-year-old daughter uh she's awesome. she's finally taken to enjoying reading instead of instead of stumbling through it and sort of being embarrassed at at struggling at it and mm-hmm. she's 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 come through where she loves reading and won't stop reading and so it's like oh this is a great time to try above and below and uh and she she loved it she loved it so much she immediately uh wanted to read all of the adventures <laughs> and, That's awesome. and and we had a great time and and she was able to manage things and uh, so that's super exciting. I don't know that I would then move her up to near and far because I feel like mm. I feel like near and far. Uh, sometimes whenever you play above and below a bunch, it feels like something's kind of missing. You know, it feels like mm. it feels like you can you can sort of not really manipulate the game, but you can ignore parts of the game by just focusing on stuff. Right. And like some of it sort of feels like it's just it's almost a huge experience that you want but it might might be lacking i had so much fun playing it and fresh with with macy we haven't played in so long Mm -hmm. and and it's it's new to me again and i really love it and i'm going to play it a bunch again but then you move to near and far which adds in this giant uh map book yeah yeah. you end up moving about and you uh you have so much more different ways to be dealing with things and strategizing yeah. about how to get stuff. There are bits that I don't enjoy <laughs> as much in Near and Far. I feel like, uh, like we did the whole campaign, which is like 10 or 12 games. Yeah. Or and, 11 maybe. And I constantly felt uh, like I was struggling. You know, if I missed one or two things early in a yeah. game, I felt like everybody else was racing away and I had a hard time finding a way to get back. Uh, right. like game after game after game. So it started to sort of beat me down. Well, it's interesting because, uh, like you said, uh, well, maybe we haven't said this clearly yet. Um, these games are like really evocative and f- family friendly looking, right? Cause they almost have almost like a kind of Disney kind of style to them. Sometimes the characters, um, where I, they feel like 
I feel above and below is totally family friendly. Yeah, and, and yeah, totally. I think so too. And I don't even something like Near and Far and Isle Bound. I don't think kids would have to be too much older to kind of be able to handle it. But what my point is that even though they kind of look like family friendly, um, narrative driven, cartoon character kind of games, there's a lot of heavy, heavy not not heavy but mid to heavy Euro mechanics going on within them you know a lot of resource management engine building like card drafting um there's a bit to chew on in there yeah. above and below know? seems like the lightest of of that small bunch just yeah, just because you don't like the management is in it is just get your guys to bed right you know like right there's the resource stuff you're not spending those resources you you mm-hmm. add a resource to a track and it it, it increases how much money and how much end games points you get right but you don't have to the only thing you have to really manage is is whether or not you have enough beds to get your guys back and then and then which characters you want to replenish to use so i feel like that one is the most accessible and maybe that's why it was the higher rated game for a long time yeah and as soon as you get to islebound which doesn't have this we're kind of mushing them all together islebound doesn't have the storytelling no, just the snippet, little snippets of storytelling. And then when you get to but, near and far, then there is like I feel like Islebound and near and far are a similar weight. Yeah, I probably. But it's interesting. I should say here at this point that uh, those we're saying those three games because there's the they're the only three yeah, no. games that we've played. Sure. And, he, and like we've already said, he has a wide kind of huge library of games that he's. Released. I have played Eight Minute Empire. Oh, you have. Yeah, I but digitally. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, and I'm interested in all of his. Which is a tiny games. box game. It's like a Scott. Uh, it's like a Scott tiny epic. Kinda, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of a micro experience almost. Um, but I should say it's not out of interest, uh, lack of interest that we haven't played these games. They're just a lot of them I don't see around. Maybe they they have small print runs. I'm not sure, but like, um, I don't think his distribution was huge in Canada yet. You know, like he's a yeah. he's a small publisher. And I don't know that, you know, I don't think they're as, as everywhere as they might yeah. be in, in the States. His, and here's a, here's a thing too. Like he's also picked up a bit of reputation too, because he did uh, Megaland recently, a right. couple, couple years back. And Megaland is a, is a family game and it's a push your luck game where he's taken the same look and the same sort of characters and built this almost video game uh, yeah. push push your luck sort of game where you're trying to collect coins and mm-hmm. then use those coins to upgrade your stuff and he he built that game specifically to sell in target like target right. he made yeah. a deal red raven and target made a deal they built a game and uh when it was announced uh i read in a bunch of things that people were k- kind of giving him the the sellout kind of vibe for it oh, for for on. putting in the target but like the way then it got countered was that in the game he puts, uh, I think there's an ad basically in the game that says, if you like this game, check out your local game store yeah, and, and find other games. Like the, and, the, and the knock wasn't uh, so much as a Red Raven is sold out, but more of a, well, now they're going to be able to buy Red Raven games in Target. Right. And they won't, won't be supporting their shops anymore. But, but like that was the game that was available in Target. Yeah. And they had a note like, we have these bigger other games. If you like this game, maybe try something harder. Go 
go look for other games. Yeah, I feel I don't think uh, he deserves any flack for that. I was listening to a similar argument. I don't um, think that kept up. I just mentioned it. Yeah, and, no, yeah. but I it, it why I'm bringing this up is the same thing was brought up recently. Um, um, Jaws of the Lion, the the Gloomhaven game that's mm-hmm. coming out. Also Target exclusive. Fog or, of Love got picked up and was exclusive in Walmart. Right, yeah. So Isaac Childress was a this Gloomhaven thing. It's only available at Target. Like, I don't even know if it's like just for a couple months before it, it can be released to other retailers as well, or maybe even just a month. But people were kind of giving him that sellout kind of vibe too. And he was just kind of saying like basically, because people were saying, oh, come on, you know, how much business would this drum up in a for your local game store and he's like that's the hope the hope is that it will drum up business because i want people regular never been to a game store not even casual gamers walking in the target picking up gloomhaven and being introduced to something totally different and then and then going to the other game store to buy the bigger box that's more expensive for the from the local game store you know or buy anything else of interest yeah it's this it's the same thing as uh it's a business move oh man you're making a digital game people won't but they keep proving that when they release a digital game people buy more regular games of course i'm realizing this more than ever in this uh quarantine isolation bit the digital implementations of war games just aren't really doing it for me like, you know i don't mind i like kind of trying them out if one goes on sale i'll try something just mechanically but i don't enjoy them i, I want them on the table when i'm when i'm enjoying yeah. a digital game they um, do help learn the rules really yeah tightly especially sometimes sometimes you have the designer kind of teaching you in that little avatar form but um back to ryan locker for a second because i was saying we haven't played very many of his games and interestingly enough, he, uh, in this interview, he was saying after Artifacts, Inc., I think, which was, I think, the game before Above and Below, or the last release before Above and Below, he said he suffered some pretty horrible burnout and just needed to get away from board games. And how he got himself back on track was basically he holed up and wrote a novel. Oh, yeah. um, he, apparently, he's... He, he admitted to writing like four or five maybe. Um, and I think, and again, he doesn't explicitly say this, but I think he, it inspired above and below the narrative portion. Like some of the ideas I think he was writing in novels were inspiring then ideas for narrative games. And he, he said he had above and below designed uh, without the narr- the narrative part and was just kind of like, ah, oh, there's something this game needs something to like make it magical or do something to it. And he pitched this idea because he said his wife is his developer. Like he, she's like 99% right. If she says something's got to go or you should do this, she's usually right. And he said, uh, he molded over and was like, what about like a narrative book? And she was like, not into it. And he wrote it out anyways. And then they had a really great time with it. Um, but yeah, and I, th- I think at the time of that interview, Near and Fire wasn't even announced, and he was talking about how he had been doing like a lot more writing. And I got to wonder if, like Near and Fire, the things that were tying those three games that we've played together, like you said, I think they really are kind of a trilogy because he said that Islebound is set in the Above and Below universe, and I assume Near and Fire might be too, but I'm not positive about that. But they all have a they have they narration. have characters that that cross over Near and Fire and Above and Below, don't they? There are even in even the game. I think the I think near and far game comes with uh, some of the characters you can actually play 
with the oh, moon maybe. above and below. Islebound does. Islebound has oh, maybe it's uh, Islebound. above maybe and below I've, characters. Maybe I've got it backwards. Um, but um, we'll check on that after. He, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he he said with uh, Islebound that he had designed that as a sequel to Empires of the Void. It was all space theme. Um, and he switched it, which I, I'm go ahead. I was just going to say, I think you should explain Islebound a bit. Yeah, I was, I was going to, but it, it's... I'm, before I explain Islebound, my, I, which I really, really like Islebound. Um, I've been looking at Empires of the Void and I love the art. I love the way it looks. Empires of the Void 2, the sequel. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really curious to see how close it is to Islebound. Um, cause I, re- I think I might really like to try it, but did it, when they re-released Empires of the Void recently, it was Empire of the Void Two, and that yeah. means they've cleaned it up some, right? Yeah, which, I think it probably means they they looked at Islebound and probably smoothed stuff over. If it's that progression that you're talking about, so. yeah. So, well, let me explain Islebound because we broke it out the other night, and it's the first time I've played it since you and I played it like uh, quite a while ago. And, and I uh, loved it. Like it of these three that we've played, like I've only played that one once, but I I loved it. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. I really really enjoy it. So Islebound has this kind of uh, modular board um, of islands that you set up, uh, this archipelago of, of of islands, and you both have a ship on a standee that you can sail around on this board. But you also have a, a player board uh, in front of you of a ship, and that's where your crew goes. So like above and below, you're kind of managing these kind of these workers almost or this crew uh, that do things for you. And basically what you're doing is sailing around and going from island to island. And when you go to these different islands, you can do an action there. It's not quite worker placement, but it has that vibe. It's, uh, I think they call it action points or action points selection or. Yeah, it, it, it has that vibe of like, well, I want to go to this spot because I want to. Like do you, have, you have tokens that give you actions and you expend them basically right so your people are that's right. how above in, and below in, works right your your people right. is, is an action and you can do as many as you have available until... right so in islebound basically how it works is you have to move your boat once you move your boat you can pay a, a coin and in in islebound coins are victory points they're interchangeably um well at the end of the game they'll count as victory points but you pay a coin to act do the action on this particular island the other cool thing that you can do is as you go around to these different islands, there are things you can do to get uh, influence. You have an influence track, which basically is, is how well you're able to uh, diplomatically kind of take over an island. You can also go around and recruit pirates and sea monsters. So you could forcibly take over an island. So after a while, once you gather some resources and gather some, maybe some pirates, um, you don't necessarily have to go to an island and spend a coin to activate the action. You can go there, spend your influence to kind of ally with an island or attack it with your pirates and take over. And then you don't have to pay to do the action anymore. You get a bunch of coins for doing that. Uh, and then if another player goes to that island that you control, they have to pay you to do the action. Um, that's the bulk of what's happening on the board, sailing, doing the actions, either using diplomacy or, or attacking to take over islands. Um, the other thing, and this is kind of what drives the game, is that you can always buy a building 
uh, at the end of your turn if you have enough coins. Or if you go to a particular island, you can build a building if you have the right resources. And basically, it's the first, in a two-player game, it's the first person to buy and build eight buildings. And these are cards that go down in front of you, and the other provide uh, ongoing kind of powers that help you out. Maybe they give you an extra fish when you go to a particular island. Maybe they give you more victory points at the end of the game. Uh, but you can build this little engine of buildings throughout the game. Um, and once someone has eight, you get one more turn and you total up your points. And your points come from your coins. They come from your building cards have points. Uh, and you have a, a track where you're moving up, uh, getting victory points as well. But it kind of plays fast. I think Susie and I played it maybe like an hour and a half. And that was me teaching the game. Um, but man, it was it was a lot of fun. And it was a two-point game, I think. Um, but at the end, it was pretty close. She she raced me out the gate and basically had six buildings when I had three or something like that. And I was scrambling to catch up. And uh, yeah, it was a really tight game. But to speak to... Um, so like I said, he had designed this game as Empires of the Void 2, like his improved version. And what he was saying, and I, and I, this is part of what I think I really appreciate, appreciate about this game and why it works for maybe me and you and, and why we don't like some other games, is he was saying, and I haven't played Empires of the Void, but I guess there's a lot of combat, player versus player combat in that game. And he said he wanted to design a similar game where there could still be kind of combat between players or, or, or kind of negative player interaction, but it didn't feel as punitive. So in Islebound, it's not like I sail into your square and me and you chuck dice and see who wins and I, you lose a bunch of points or it really negatively affects you and then we got to feel crappy about each other for the rest of the game. What happens is, well, if I take over a place, uh, I put my cube there, and then you would have to pay coin if you come visit. But if you're like, I'm not going to pay coin. I'm actually, I'm going to go and take over that place. It costs you two, two more to take it over. Um, but you just take it over and you get all the coins and nothing really negative happens to me other than I lose that spot. Having control, having the area control over these islands don't re doesn't reward you any points. So, you know, it's a bit of a sting to be like, ah, damn, now I got to pay a coin when I go back there or but it doesn't really negatively affect you. So it, it feels a little indirect and, and less personal because he was saying his biggest problem with Empires of the Void, like it is with most Ameritrash uh, player versus player kind of games, is anytime you're playing with more than two people, there's a bit of a gang up thing that happens, right? And people will try to attack the person who's winning or two people whatever they their buddies and their ribbon their their other friend they just keep attacking the same person and and that usually isn't a fun experience for people so i'm really curious and i haven't looked into it if empires of the void 2 has removed that and and has handled it in a similar way that islebound has and if so i'll eventually try that game because it looks so pretty it's a it's an interesting progression with ryan lockett where uh in an interview i'd read years ago he would I think it was when Pandemic was really big and people started right. talking a lot about co-op games. And he was saying how he didn't didn't really enjoy co-op games and he thought uh, games always needed that that conflict. Mm -hmm. And that's why he... like it's, It seems every game he had, people have... One of the things that people have always said is how 
negative player interaction happens, like mm. in uh, City of Iron and and some of his earlier games, it seems like it's heavier. And um, but he had always been saying that he he really enjoyed that, and right. slow slowly he's been finding ways to make it less vicious, maybe. Yeah. And uh, and now Sleeping Gods is like a cooperative game. Mm-hmm. And he's slowly progressed <laughs> and changed and changed his thoughts and maybe how he enjoys those games. But yeah, well, he was saying, and I mean, it's hard not to agree with them that if if you know, usually those experiences of 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 combat, player versus player combat, or ganging up on people, if that leaves people having a negative experience, then they oh, might yeah. not want to play that game again. Totally right. And he was saying, you know, you. I want to design a game where you're you're enjoying every turn. You're not just enjoying some moment when a good thing happens. You you like each turn, and I think that's the beauty of above and below. Even if it's missing kind of something that's kind of totally pulling it together, you still can't wait for your turn because there's always fun th- things to do. And the reading the narrative is a big part of what makes that game fun. In Islebound, Islebound feels kind of sandboxy. And I'm always like, oh, I can't wait to go there and do this thing. Or I hope I can get that building before Susie gets it or whatever. It's never felt like I had a turn where I wasn't like, it wasn't a waste of a turn or or anything. It just, it it was cool right till the end. It's Um, a, it's such a great thing to mix in with board games that uh, choose your own adventure stuff. And I think it's being explored a lot more. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it, I don't think there was a ton before Above and Below. Like there was the no. uh, Arabian Nights or whatever that one was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that one lacked game. Yeah, I think the reading was the game yeah. pretty much, right? Yeah. And like we have one uh, called Delve, which I didn't look up who who's Delve by. And Delve is a super interesting game where Delve is a, is a Carcassonne. Yeah. Uh, it's a Carcassonne it's dungeon Colleen. crawl. Yeah. And it's actually uh, specifically like uh, Carcassonne New World where you ha- you start off with a wall. Like where you enter mm. uh, and then you build out that way. You can never build past the wall because that's the, the start of the dungeon. So mm. you you Carcassonne, you, have, uh, you get a choice of three tiles, you play out a tile, and then you have uh, your band of dungeon crawlers. Uh, each one sort of has a different power and you place them on the tiles uh, the same way you'd put a meeple, but you put them face down so that the other players don't know sort of who you've put there, sort of uh, like a like an old stratego, sort of. They don't know who they're going to maybe be fighting if they right, right. choose to stay in that room. And then whenever a room resolves, like the way you would finish a road or a city in Carcassonne, then you deal with what's in the room. And there might be uh, special objects in the room that, that do different things. Or if there's another player in that room, then you have uh, combat, to figure out who gets to loot the room. But if no one's in the room, if the if it resolves with just you on your own, or if you're playing solo, uh, whenever you resolve a room, you, you flip a little adventure card, and you have a choose-your-own-adventure narrative uh, piece on a card, and you have to decide how to deal with it. And right. uh, it's very small and very light. And we're going we're gonna to play this one with Macy very soon because she loves uh, dungeon crawlers like Dungeon and Karak. And, right. uh, and now she loves reading these tiny adventures. So we're going to play Delve with yeah, her. That's soon. a good idea. I kind of forgot. And, and we just played all. Carcassonne and she loved it. So, Right. I, I kind of forgot about those little choose your own uh, kind of points in Delve. Yeah. Kind of similar to uh, where we played. Which um, is, 
Richard Lanius and Pete Shuri. Yeah, I just looked it up too. And Richard Lanius is is a pretty big wig. Uh, he's the Arkham Horror Elder Sign. Oh, cool. Uh, Defenders of the Realm guy. Yeah, which is, those are big games. Um, Sorry, I cut you off there. No, that's okay. Um, something I was, I just want to make sure I, I say about um, Red Raven games, or at least the ones we've played, is a while ago we had talked about uh, storytelling um, in games. And, you know, there's lots of different ways to tell stories. And Ryan obviously goes for, for the ones that we've played are very explicit in the, the fact that he hands you a big book in Above and Below and Near and Far and like, you know, here's the story. But even without those books, um, the board, his board designs, or in, in the case of Near and Fire, his book maps, uh, the above and below kind of boards, the player boards and Islebound, the islands themselves. Um, there's just so much storytelling done with his settings and his characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, you know, awesome that we get those narrative books. But man, does he ever do a really good job of kind of world building with his art. And it's a testament to how good it is in my opinion is that he hasn't uh he hasn't jumped on the miniature bandwagon yeah, right yet. it's just the cardboard standees and and it would really kind of and... i think personally it would really kind of suck if he did because I, you know like i i love i, I wouldn't it... want a miniature sailboat yeah. like a gray plastic thing that i wasn't going to paint when i could have his painted standee it's the same thing when we talked about horrified and and the nostalgia for how that mm-hmm. game felt like you could have had it since you were a kid and it's cardboard standees and like i i don't i like minis i don't paint minis so they yeah. always stay you know whatever color there <laughs> are is the way they're Very, always going to be to me yeah. and i'm not i'm not knocking them uh the only thing i would knock is how much money they add to a game yeah. for for buying at retail uh and i but i love cardboard standees like i i just if when they're done nice they're they're awesome i mean that's that's a board yep. game feeling that i've always had and i'll always you know i love it so i like uh tiny wooden faceless meeples and i like uh cardboard uh standees like it's... yeah i and i mean i'm a guy who has a few mini miniature games kicking around but i i think i also prefer standees in uh i played um, seventh continent a few times and they have little tiny minis yeah. i thought they were way bigger until i broke it out and they're pretty miniature um but the as an example again the card art on in seventh continent is really nice like as you're building this map it's beautiful then you put these kind of little tiny hunks of gray plastic down and it's like oh what are you doing on that map <laughs> and it came with standees and um i a couple times i i, I decided the last time i played that i preferred playing with the standees and the, it comes with the bonfire as well like a miniature bonfire gray plastic i prefer them because it ties it in with that artwork and that world in gloomhaven same thing um i didn't realize but the first kickstarter you could have i think added on to get the standees for the player characters oh yeah and you know it's fun it's always fun to open up a miniature and minis are cool to look at and i i still like them but again i don't oh yeah i don't <laughs> Yeah. I don't. Besides the price, I, yeah. I still love them. <laughs> but I think if I had standees for Gloomhaven, I would probably use those too because they tie it together. That you know, everything you're fighting is a cardboard standee with pretty cool art, and then again, gray hunking piece of plastic. So I commend Ryan Lockett for not uh, taking that route, and he, and he 
I hope he, he probably won't based on the size of sleeping God and all the kind of similar kind of art style that's there. And it's, and it, uh, it's not based on whether or not he's done other, other add on type trends. Like he has beautiful metal coins. He has, mm-hmm. you know, extra stuff that, that other mini games have done too, without doing the minis. So I think part of it is, uh, with his art, you know, sculpting his art would not, it wouldn't come across sure. the same. You know, if you had a sculpted mini of, like, all his stuff is very hand-painted, very, you know, so it just wouldn't translate maybe as well either, so. Well, it's it's true. His characters are really kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, There is a word for it, and I actually meant to look it up before this because it was something I was going to bring up that... um, anyone who has listened to a few episodes maybe will realize that I really like comic books. Um, And there's a guy called Scott McCloud who wrote, you know, a big thesis in the eighties trying to justify why comics were, uh, how comics are art and how they should be read as literature and and an art form. So he put a a ton of work and research into putting his, his book, understanding comics together. But one of his main points that always stands out to me is this idea of, um, he has a section in it where he's saying the more kind of cartoony uh, a face is, the more we can kind of relate to that character and we can enter like a story through that character. So he's using the example of almost like an emoji versus a photorealistic yeah. drawing. It's like you look at a photorealistic drawing of like an adventurer in a comic, Indiana Jones, say so you're like, well, that's Indiana Jones. Like it's not really me. But if you were like a, but cartoon version of that, like Charlie Brown, Charles Schultz style, every piece of detail that's removed from a character makes it more possible that it could be you. But that's the same thing with, with like Indiana Jones and those movies too, where, where the, the star person is, is sort of a blank slate-ish. Totally. You know, but, it's the, the sort of everyman thing where you can project yourself yeah. into that. It's one of the reasons why, it seems like the other characters are sort of helping make the decisions. Uh, yeah. You know, so yeah, That's I get true. what you're saying. And, and I agree with that. And an every man kind of character allows a one Avenue to enter a story, but a really kind of neat stripped down cartoon character uh, can do a, a similar thing. And oh, I yeah. feel like Ryan's characters are that, you know, and like you said, he has a really great representation of, you know, males and females and, and lots of <laughs> animal species and things, but all of his, his characters could be anybody. They're almost like avatar kind of yeah, yeah. style and not the blue alien movie avatar, but you know, just general. Or the, I would have gone with blue arrow uh, cartoon. Right. The, the bald guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing. I got to watch that. Yeah. Oh, you haven't watched that, right? No. That's um uh I wanted to say too, just for uh what I was saying right when we started, I was saying how not a lot of people and, and how inspiring Ryan Lockett has been for doing it all, uh and doing it all so well. And like there are people who do like two out of three amazingly, yeah. like uh Cat Lady, who's a Oh yeah cat lady i can't uh, think of his name he just has josh, a josh wood josh wood he has a new ga- game coming out and he does the design and he does the art himself but then is published uh with aeg or uh, steve finn who does the design and and oh, self-publishing yeah. for most of his games but has somebody else do the art but you have uh like roland the illustrator who's does a ton of art 
and has finally done a couple of his own. He did Ruthless mm-hmm. recently, right. but it's it's not self-published as well. And like uh, Andrew Bosley has uh, Plane right. Crafters. Yeah. And then the Bolt and Lightning that he's re-releasing. Yeah, right. Yeah. But but there, it's hard to find a Red Raven uh, where they're doing everything, you know? Jason Glover yeah. with Grey Gnomes Games, which is a very small publisher, and he's done, uh, like he started off, most of his stuff gets done through Game Crafter and then and then moves on kind of thing. I think he's done yeah. maybe a Kickstarter. And his his art's great. Uh, yeah. He's actually released a lot of his art as a, as resources. So like mm-hmm. if you're if you're doing your own RPGs and stuff, he has a website where you can download cool. uh, some of his black and yes. white stuff, sort of like he's done for Iron Helm, but right. John uh, was it John Merchant who we talked about a while John, back? Yeah, like, John Merchant. There you go. He's uh, but he's he got picked up. He, he was doing uh, so now he's with uh, Lettyman Games. Lettyman Games. How do you say Lettyman, that? Lettyman. Yeah. Lettyman. Lettyman. Yeah, but yeah, he's a triple threat. He's uh, Ryan Lockett's. Yeah, is inspiring, and uh, and I know not. You know, I, I'm sadly his none of these games we're talking about have cracked the top 100 of BGG. Not that that means and anything. Uh, there are so many good games in the top 1,000 and beyond. Um, but I was kind of surprised when I went back and looked. Uh, but Near and Far is is that as right up there with 139, and above and below is right behind with 222 and then I'll bound in the 700s but um and I get why near and fires there um like you said we we had a a big campaign and we played that almost more regularly than we played any campaign game as a group um and I think that was a testament to <laughs> yeah I think so I think like over half of that campaign I was totally engaged and I think like any game you play it eight or 10 times. It's, it starts to wear a little bit. Not that I ever had a bad time playing it, but I think by the end of it, I was ready for the campaign to be done. It was just kind of like, cool. This is great. I'm glad uh, we did part, it. Partway through that campaign and near, near and far works fairly similar to above and below. Yeah. Uh, you have, uh, but not, not even, it's almost more like aisle band. Cause you don't, you don't have that action point stuff. You have you can do a thing on your turn, so you can move same as you would in Islebound. You would move to an island and then be able to take that action. Mm-hmm. Uh, in near and far, you're in a town and you can move to a, a another building in that town and take that action, or you can go out on the road and move to uh, several points on the map based on what your right. movement is. Right, uh, and you can upgrade your movement by buying uh, what little traveling animals. Right. Yeah. Uh, things birds. like that so you have a health system that allows you to move so far and spend your hearts and and you have to manage your your hearts and your health and your money and halfway through that campaign there's there's a part of the game that is uh, a mine in the village track where oh, you can go right. to a mine and every time you go to a mine you're you're always putting out these little tents to mark where you've gone and do mm-hmm. stuff and it's uh it's a little grid and you put a tent down orthogonally to another one and you get a bonus and uh and that was so crucial and that's where part of the sort of runaway leader problems happened right was who controlled the mine and so halfway through that campaign uh dave and i had pitched on a kickstarter i got some above and below expansions and he got uh the amber mines Mines expansion and it fixed 
some of the weird balance issues that Near and Far had. Like yeah, yeah. Adding this new adventure in the mines, which kind of made it feel a little more like above and below, where you were actually going underground. Right, yeah. I forgot and you were about adventuring that. Uh, through this deck of cards, basically. You'd flip and you'd keep going and you'd have to do a little almost combat uh, to, to keep yeah. going. And yeah. and that, that really fixed what, what felt like uh, a, a, an issue that, that Near and Far had. So it was kind of like an upgrade that really punched I the agree. game up a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Uh, the Amber Mines was a fun... Helped with balancing uh, some because, you know, because we were playing it so much uh, in a row, I really I really started to feel a slog where I would I would screw up and I would get left behind uh, game yeah. after game. And I felt like Amber Mines really helped to give you another option to sort of balance things out. Right. It, it took away one where a, a player could keep getting ahead and two, it gave you a a, a more level playing field forward. Right. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's how is... I remember. We haven't played in a while, but that's that's uh, what I remember. It's still one of those games. It will rank really high for me always, just for uh, just for the kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Tennis? <laughs> no, is it bacon. That... No. Ah, oh, those are both great words, though. <laughs> it's... Um, just. The kind of narrative that we laid over the top of that game and just oh, kind yeah. of the goofing around fun that we had uh, playing that, that game. The narrative was, was fun, if not a little disjointed because, you know, old man memories as we're trying to piece together what happened last it was, episode. It was peculiar. We we uh, laid a story over top of Near and Far that was just a, a thematic trash talking. Really, that's all. You know, that, that's all yeah. it was. Characters kind of didn't like each other, or maybe we just <laughs> ribbed each other in game. Um, but anyways, it turned into uh, quite a bit of fun. But I'll tell you, based on my experiences with just these three games, I'm I'm pretty excited for Sleeping Gods. I think it it will be uh, quite a bit of fun as it kind of again builds on some of those mechanics. It has a map book again. It's full of islands that you can visit, like Islebound has a huge narrative thread and a narrative hook. Uh, the one thing I will say about it is that it seems to move away from that world though. Um, it moves away from the kind of the cartoony style that I was just talking about that allows you to enter characters and has a slightly more realistic kind of human beings kicking around. Maybe is appealing to a bit more of like a Lovecraftian uh, mystery uh, pulpy vibe. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm sold with that. It still it looks like it has really cool creatures. The setting looks evocative in the same way as the other games. And um, I think the thing that really kind of interests me about this game, like the same reason I'm interested in things like Seventh Continent or it was, is it solo play, but I think it's a 10 or 20 hour campaign, but you can't not see the whole world that he's built from page to page in this Atlas book that comes with it. So there's replayability in there and that, you're incentivized to go back and make different choices or explore a different part of it or use different characters like a video game where you can go back and experience different narrative hooks and different settings and locales, probably different encounters and things like that. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm really interested to give that one a try. Um, I'm supposed to come out this year, um, but I know there's lots of craziness going on in the world right now. So Hopefully all goes well for uh, people trying to 
fulfill and keep their businesses and their customers happy. I think we mentioned almost every game of his except Ancient Worlds. Oh, yeah. That's right. That not just kind of re-released last year or the year before, before that. Um, yeah. I think it... I think it's maybe is known as one of his more mean games. Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe the City of Iron is the. Don't know much about that game. It's like, it looks. Really I would cool. like to play them all. I, uh, yeah. I'm. I think. I mean, I'm going to track down Megaland because right now Macy loves push your luck games. Right. Uh, and I think I would really like to 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 go with Empires of the Void too. Yeah, I think. I know that you will get. I know that you will eventually have Sleeping Gods, yeah. and I've given up on the uh, originally. Whenever Above and Below came out, I wanted to own them all, right? And uh, so I wanted to get Near and Far Next, and Dave got it, and then I wanted to get Isleban, <laughs> and, and you got it, and I was just like, well, yeah, I, there's, I'll get to play them. That's all that, that really yeah. matters. Um, but every time, like Above and Below came out, and I was like, oh my god, I think that's the perfect game. That's the game I've been waiting for. And then Near and Far came out, and I was like, oh, that's the game I've been waiting for. Right, so Sleeping right. Gods has that feel still. You're yeah. you're right. There's uh, like some of the characters. Uh, I, one of the cards that kind of looks like Steven Seagal. If you yes, it looks squint a lot your like eyes. Steven Seagal. Yeah. And so I'm. Uh, it's lost a little bit of its magic, maybe, but I'm excited to play it. Uh, but I think for putting on my shelf i want to try empires of the void too yeah i think that that would as, make... as my next locket uh big big purchase yeah uh you should do it because i really want to play it and i'm i'm interested in for the islebound connection i'm curious if it's a i know it's not a re-implementation it's a totally different game but i'm curious about that that kind of element about conflict i'm wondering if that similar element is in there and it seems like a bit of a sandboxy uh game where you could you could go off and do things your own way. I, I don't know. It just looks like a, it would be a bit of fun in the same way that, you know, we've had fun with, uh, you know, Wasteland Express or um, where you can kind of go carve out your own section of the map and try to be your own person in this kind of world. Um, yeah. It looks cool. Yeah. I'm excited. That's, that's the same reason I want to try Western legends. Yes. Yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that kind of go on sale a few times now. I'm, I've been Which interested. Is, that's, but is that rolling the illustrator? That's uh, it is. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and yeah, the, just the other day, I know we're, we're probably running, totally. getting down there. But Deep Vents was just announced by Red Raven Games, and that's the oh yeah, we're we're really running. Um, but yeah, yeah the Deep next Vents, Red but Raven that's, game will be Deep Vents, and that's somebody else that designed that i, th- I think co-designed and then uh, okay. brian did the art yeah but i don't know much about it tile laying in the depths of the ocean and I it's think. not al secret that's all i know yeah no it's not yeah anyways wow gushing about a guy someone's ears are burning south of the border maybe not <laughs> yeah probably probably not <laughs> i hope not <laughs> probably but stay, if he stay is healthy. send stay us healthy. an email <laughs> <laughs> Uh, feedback at everydaymaple.com. Ryan, we'd we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, anyways, good chat. Um I'm yeah, I obviously a big fan of uh his worlds and his game, so looking forward to what comes next. Cool. Uh see you later, Steve.